My subject this morning is the mystery of iniquity, the mystery of sin. Last week we covered the mystery of godliness, and it is a mystery, the Bible calls it a mystery, and the Bible calls iniquity a mystery, sin is a mystery. So we found that God did not create us and give us the capacity to imitate Christ. That's not why we were created. When we receive Jesus Christ as our, our personal Savior, we received a new heart, the Bible says. And then the Bible says that he gave us a new human spirit. Now that's important that we understand that. He gave us a new heart and a new human spirit. And then he filled us with the Holy Spirit. That is the born-again experience. It is the Spirit of God acting within a human being that produces the behavior that God intended man to have. Just as Jesus depended on the Father, we too, we depend on the Lord Jesus Christ. John 5.30 says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. This is Jesus speaking. I can do nothing on my own initiative. I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so it is with us. We depend on Christ living in us and through us. He has given us everything, the Bible says, pertaining to life and godliness. He has already given to the believer everything that they need for life and godliness. How does God do this? Last week when I spoke on the mystery of godliness, I mentioned that the Bible says that no man has seen God. No man has seen him. And I use the illustration of electricity. No man has ever seen electricity. Uh, the, the light bulb was designed when that current, that invisible current, current comes through, it produces light. And that's exactly what happens to us when we receive Jesus Christ as our personal savior. The current is the cause. The light is the effect. Christ living in you is the cause, the invisible cause. And your life is the effect of that. This morning, as we, as we are going to discover this mystery of iniquity, in the beginning, God created man. And Adam had the exclusive influence of the truth from within him. And it was exhibited by God himself. He was partaking of the divine nature of God. He was altogether God-like. He was everything that God wanted him to be. Our first man, Adam, had the Holy Spirit living within him. In Genesis 2, 16, 
the Bible says this. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From the tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Now it's obvious that God did, did not mean that he would physically die, but spiritually he would. Adam was capable of spiritual death while remaining physically alive. In Romans 6.13, the Bible says this, And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Now we'll notice in 4 and 5, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So the Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses, but we were made alive together with Christ. So how did this happen? The Bible says here in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all will be made alive. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be made alive. There's going to be something that happens to him. Spiritual life is going to be restored when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Every single one of us were born with a bent towards, a leaning towards evil. We sin before we even know what sin is all about. That's the way that we were born. We were born in Adam. And now the Bible says that in Christ we will be made alive. So we will be restored to a spiritual being. And how is that done? By God giving us that new heart that new human spirit and filling us with the Holy Spirit. When we were in Adam, the Bible says we were alienated from God. When we were in Adam, the Bible says we were walking according to the flesh. When we are in Adam, we will die in our sins. And what is the result of that? The wages of sin is what? Death. We will die in our sins. In Adam, the whole, the whole key to the gospel is we were in Adam and now we want to be in Christ. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, if they call on them with a sincere heart, they are in Christ. Now, we've got to get out of our mind about this performance thing, how well they are performing at that time. It is a fact. You're, <clears throat> we're all spiritually in one or two places. We are either we are in Adam or we are in Christ. And the Bible says that when we made that commitment, we were in Christ. And that's where we are today. In John 8, 
24, it says, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, it's important for us when, to understand that when you act in obedience to the truth, truth behaves, producing godliness. When you act in obedience to a lie, the lie behaves, producing ungodliness. The principles are the same. What produces godliness is the truth. What produces ungodliness is the lie about the truth. So what is the truth? When you came to the place in your life, whether you were 88 or 9 or whether you were 89, it doesn't make any difference. When you came to that place and you asked Christ to come into your life, you, the Bible says, were born again. You believed, or you should have believed, maybe you were not instructed that way, but you should have, been, you should have believed that your sins are not only forgiven, but they are forgotten. There's no such thing as a believer coming up at the judgment bar of God and seeing all of his sins on some big screen. The Bible says that your lawless deeds will be remembered no more. They'll never come up in the judgment. So the born-again Christian, he passes through the judgment. He's already been judged. He is now a child of the living God. When you believe that, that you have a new heart and you received a new, new human spirit, it makes all the difference in the world on how you will behave. If you believe that, that in itself will produce godliness. Sometimes the Christian is told, unfortunately, that if you read your Bible, if you pray, if you have quiet time, if you do all of these things, this will produce godliness. It will not produce godliness. It will not do it. The only thing that can produce godliness is Christ living in the believer. Otherwise, if it can be done any other way, it's you doing it. But God is the one that does it. God is the author of truth. And the devil is the author of deception. And he has blinded the unbeliever's minds that they should not discern the truth. Now notice this text in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. In whose case... The God of this world, notice God is lowercase, so it's not, it's not our Heavenly Father. The whole case, the God of this world, which is Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbeliever so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So he has blinded the eyes of the unbeliever. When Christians... When they do not understand that godliness is the result of God's activity in man. When they don't understand that. What happens is that they begin to believe that it's up to them. 
and they try and establish their own righteousness by works. And that is a huge mistake for the Christian to make. Christ says, I have come that you might have it, that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. There is nothing abundant about a life that is, that is infused with guilt and shame. There's just nothing abundant about that life. What happens is that we try to establish our own righteousness. And you see it all around us. In the United States here, we have over 300 different denominations. Over 300. And many of them are claiming that they are the only ones that are right. What a shame, what, what a travesty that has done to the, the body of Christ. They look at each other, judge each other. It's not a good thing. Jesus says, I have come that they might have life. So when we produce our own self-righteousness, we get all the credit because it's us doing it. But notice what, what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 21 and 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your names perform many miracles? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, there are things, two things that we need to look at here. First of all, Jesus says, I never knew you. You were never a born-again believer. I just never knew you. And then it says, because you practice sin. A born-again believer does not practice sin. They sin, but they do not wake up every morning with the idea of how much can I get into sin today. No. The source of our godliness is Christ living in us. We really don't want to sin as, as believers. We do, but we don't want to. When Adam sinned, he experienced a new sensation that he never knew before. And that was fear. And it has never left man since. And when we sin, it always makes us want to hide and run away. The gospel is all about how to get the wrong man out, Adam, out, and get the right man in, Christ. It's the exchange life. We exchange a lie for the truth. We exchange our life in Adam for the life of Christ. And James said, or Jesus said in, in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And notice here, Jesus said about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the leaders of the church. 
He says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. God is the author of truth, and so the devil is the author of deception. Everything the devil says is deceit. Satan has blinded the unbelievers' minds that they should not discern the truth. You talk about the exchange life to an unbeliever, and they think, what, are you from outer space? You really believe that? And <clears throat> there's, there's a difference what Satan does to the believer. Satan knows that if you have heard of the cross, you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, he knows that the Bible says that you are sealed unto the day of redemption. But what the, what the Satan does to the believer he appears to the, to, to the believer as an angel of light. Now, there is no question that we have false apostles disguising themselves as apostles in Christ. That has always been. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 14, 11, 14, no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. So, the Bible says here that they present themselves as servants of righteousness. Now, I want to spend some time this morning on the righteousness of God. I believe that if you fully understand this, it will change your life forever. We have all sorts of definitions of God's righteousness. Many Christians, they feel that righteousness is some, somewhat like um, a right standing with God. That when you gave your life to Christ you received a right standing with God. And some believe that this uh, righteousness is credited to you. It's imputed to you. There's a big discussion, theological discussion, between imputed and imparted. And so there are Christians who believe that when you receive Christ as your personal Savior, that righteousness is credited to you. And then when Jesus Christ comes back and gives you a new body, then you'll have the completeness there. And so it becomes confusing. It's somewhat what they believed in the Old Testament. They believed that righteousness was credited to them. It was imputed to them. They really didn't deserve it, but God somehow uh, imputed it to them. And... Um, it become very, very confusing. 
what happens is that some people say that this is the way God sees you as righteous. You're really not righteous. This is the way God sees you. And so, and so you're kind of led to believe that when God looks at you, he puts on his Jesus glasses and he sees you through those glasses. That you're really not righteous, but you will be someday, but no, you're not today. And so the argument is, am I righteous? Uh, no, I, I, I guess I'm not, because why? Because I still sin. So people think that if you're righteous, you no longer sin. And so that's when they feel that it's kind of a, the theologians have put a little spark to it. They said, oh, it's just positional. You're positionally, but we're kind of almost led to believe that maybe God is pretending that we are righteous. He says that we are righteous, but are we righteous? If I was righteous, would I still sin? And so the argument goes. And all of those things have a bit of truth and a bit of deception to them. All of them would be true if it were not that you were born again. Today, in the Old Testament, it was credited to them. Today, in the New Testament, when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, it is imparted to you. Not imputed, it's imparted to you. You have a new nature. The Bible says that you were in Adam and now you're in Christ. But you say to yourself, but if it's but if it's imparted to me, if Christ's righteousness is imparted to me, then why do I still sin? You still sin because of the power of sin. You still sin because of those old attitudes that come up when this world hits you. You still sin because the Bible says, Paul says that sin dwells within us. But Paul is the first one to say, but it's not us. It's the power of sin. Because of the flesh, we still sin. And when Christ comes and gives us a new body, yes, we, there's, no, there's no more leaning towards, there's no more propensity to sin. Yes, that's true. But I want to tell you something this morning. I'm going to show you that you are righteous. You are righteous. In Matthew, in Matthew 5.20, the Bible says this. For I say unto you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Righteousness is a requirement. Yes, it's, a, it's true that Jesus gifts you with righteousness. He gave you a new DNA. When you accepted Christ as your personal Savior, 
you were created into a new image. You were created into the image of God. And at that time, God imparted to you Christ's righteousness. You have Christ's righteousness in you, and it's shared with Christ. Listen to 2 Peter 1.4. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of his divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. The Bible puts it very plain. You have been partakers of his divine nature. You have Christ living in you. And in that, you have the righteousness of Christ in you. You have heard me say over and over for this past year and a half that at, it's at your deepest core, your new heart, your new human spirit, at that deepest core, you are perfect in Christ. Perfect. It's up here where that battle goes. And somehow we think that what's going on up here is us. And I've given the illustration. And in fact, just the other day, I was given a Bible study. And I said to, to that individual, I said, I said, I can't believe this. I said, just about a month ago, I was reading the Bible. And uh, I, was, uh, I was just really into it. And all of a sudden, a bad thought came through my mind. I thought, where did that come from? Where did that come from? And that's what Paul's argument was. I don't understand it. He said, I don't understand how these things come through my mind like that. But then he says, but it's not me. It's not me. It's not you at your deepest core. At your deepest core, you are everything that God wants you to be. Because he gave you a new heart. He gave you a new human spirit. And he filled you with the Holy Spirit. In John 16, 8, the Bible says this. And he, when he comes, this is speaking about the Holy Spirit, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Now this is the Holy Spirit convicting the world. Most of us, we grew up believing that God, that the Holy Spirit is going to be convicting us of sin. But the work of the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin and righteousness. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. Christ's righteousness is invisible. It's just like Christ living in you. It's invisible. God is doing it in you and through you. And you are the effect of having Christ living in you. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Satan has already been judged. The Holy Spirit is convicting us of what? What is he convicting the Christian of? Of his righteousness. 
He wants you, the Christian, to believe that you are righteous. Why? Because it will affect the way you behave. This is the key. It's not how often you read the Bible. It's not how often you pray. It's believing that the righteousness of Christ, you are part of that. You are a partaker of his divine nature. The Holy Spirit to the Christian is convicting him, reminding him that he is the righteousness of Christ. It'll affect the way you look at God. It will affect that you, the way you behave on a daily basis. This whole concept of Christ living in you. That's, that's the mystery of godliness. Christ living in you. And it produces you. It, it enables you to live as God intended for man to live. And you are free in Christ. Notice what Hebrews says. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Salvation is the milk. The meat of the word is righteousness. It's understanding your righteousness. You have been united with Christ. You are infused with Christ. Christ is living in you. He's every part of you. The Bible says in Galatians 3.21. Is the law contrary to the promise of God? May it never be. For if the law had been given. Which was able to impart life. Then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. Now this is the truth. The law can clean you on the outside. You can look good. You can just follow all the rules and regulations. And on the outside, you'll look really good. But it will not affect your doing. The, all, the law will only affect you looking good. Our righteousness comes from Christ. It's invisible. We have a counselor. We have a teacher. And that teacher is the Holy Spirit. The moment that you were born again, you didn't have to be convicted of sin. You knew when you sinned. What you had to be convicted on is your righteousness. Your righteousness is the key. It's the meat of the gospel. It's being infused by the life of Christ living in you. That's what the gospel is all about. It's the same as being made righteous. In Ephesians 4, 24. And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. You were created when you were born again. You were created in righteousness. 
When you were born again, your desire was not to sin. You were recreated in righteousness. Philippians 3.9 And may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, read this text over and over. It is in Christ the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. We need, I believe the Christian church needs to tie in our righteousness into the born-again experience because that's where it all takes place. When you were born again, you were recreated in righteousness. You, have, you are a partaker of Christ's righteousness. This is not some God pretending that you are righteous. No, you are a partaker of his righteousness. In Galatians 1, Colossians 1, excuse me, Colossians 1, 26 and 27. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has been manifested to his saints. This is what was manifested after the cross. It says here, to whom God willed to make known what is the richness of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Over and over as you read the epistles, Paul continually, constantly, dear saints, dear saints, and you and I, if we were to pass judgment on those believers, they were far from saints. Far from saints. They still sinned. You and I still sin. But the Bible says that we are saints. The Bible says that we are take partakers of his divine nature. The Bible is indicating that we are everything that God wants us to be. Everything. We are God's delight. No matter what we're going through, no matter what our struggle is, it doesn't make any difference. It's what God says that is true. The devil always tells a lie about the truth. The devil is the first one. The Bible says that he is the accuser of the brethren. The devil is the first one to say to the believer, if you were really, really born again, you wouldn't be doing this. If you were really born again, you wouldn't be thinking of this. And that's why so many people, they, they sit in the pew and they think, oh, if people really knew what was going through my mind, listen doesn't make any difference what's going through your mind. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He sends messages through your mind. God is only interested in your heart. He gave you a new heart, a new human spirit. You are different when you're born again. You are different because you have a new human spirit. And then God so graciously filled us with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, it is by faith. If you believe it, you believe it by faith. 
And the more that you believe it, the more that you will see it. The truth leads us in our behavior. So get that behavior, that performance things out of your mind. God will do a work in you that it's impossible for you to do. And that's the way he wants it. He wants you to see the miraculous blessings that he has blessed you with in spite of what goes through this mind of yours. May God bless us as we trust him. And we just trust him and believe him that it's true. And you'll see the results. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this wonderful truth of righteousness. We are thankful, Lord, that, it's, that you have given to us everything that we need in life and godliness. We thank you for that. I pray that you'll continue to meet the needs that each one of us have. You've brought us here for a reason, and that reason is to understand how much you love us, how much you care for us, and what you're doing in us and through us. We praise you and we thank you for it. Help us to have a beautiful and wonderful day. For we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.